This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17, Episode 27. This is Writing Excuses, ensembles behind the scenes. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Zoraida. I'm Kayla. Are you sure? <laughs> Question mark? Well, that's, that's, definitely, that's definitely Kayla, I can tell. And I'm Howard. <laughs> okay, so um, we, we have been recording for a long time. We're going to talk today. Uh, this episode is the, the final one in our ensemble masterclass. And what we want to talk about is not so much the storytelling side, but the nitty gritty writing, outlining, revising, that kind of stuff. What are the tools that we use and how do we use them to make sure that we can tell ensembles well? Uh, and so I think the best way to, to start this, let's jump right into one of the examples that Sarita gave us in the outline. Um, you color code things. Uh, tell us how, how that works and uh, and let's talk about it. So I have a very intensive editing process because it, it, it needs to calm all of my anxieties of thinking that the book is terrible. Um, and so I, I color code chapters by, if, if I'm writing in a dedicated point of view, um, it's more time intensive to print specific chapters or pages um, in a specific color. And so when I can't do that, I use color-coded um, index cards uh, or post-its so that I can see where the text is too long um, in the story where one point of view might be taking over, right? And yes, you can do this by laying out index cards and seeing how many scenes, but I'm, I'm more interested in, like, in the actual length that these point of views take up. Right, because I could have an equal number of scene cards or chapter cards, but when the text is actually there, like one chapter is like eight thousand words, and one might be five, and so I need to understand what's happening there and what's going on in these scenes, and can something be broken up? Does it need to be so long? Who's taking over? Who needs more airtime? That's sort of how I go in to editing mode. What? Your chapters are long. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I do real short. I, I'm using like an exaggerated example. I try to do, <laughs> I try to do shorter chapters. <laughs> Sorry. So, so I, I now have a question. You, you said your chapters are long. Z- Zoraida, how long are your chapters in terms of word count? So I, I usually aim for 4,000 words. Um, but I was using an exaggerated example. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So uh, I think that's a, a, a interesting way to do it. So uh, because, yeah, I have done in my outlines, I, I will frequently color code them uh, in terms of, you know, which POV are we in or, uh, you know, which character or which subplot are we dealing with? But like you say, that's only telling me the scene or the chapter, not the actual word count, the volume of the story that's being taken up. What do you do to be able to visualize that? At a glance, at a glance, I would have to 
be super incredibly chaotic and or well chaotic and organized at the same time, which I know doesn't make sense. But uh, if I am writing out of order, I would take all of the chapters of like Susan, right? Susan Elfshire and print them out in like <laughs> blue paper and then take like Bill James Elfman. I, these are ridiculous examples and print them out and print and print his chapters out in a different color. Right. Oh. So this, this is like, this is what I mean when like my process is very time consuming, but I, I need the tactile part of writing. Um, otherwise I can't edit. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, also, I think that I want to change our homework for this episode Write an 8,000-word chapter about Bill James Elfman. <laughs> no, um, th- this, this is really intriguing to me, um, and, and I, I like it a lot. And so I want to ask a little more. Let's dig into this. So when we're dealing with an ensemble, this is different than just which POV is this chapter in. Because often, and, and I would say most of the time, you've got multiple characters from your ensemble together because that's what defines an ensemble so how do you choose which color to use for a given chapter if you've got four or five members of the ensemble all on screen at the same time because i even when i do third person i do third person limited uh Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. a specific character so it, it truly that method only can only work if the point of view is in the perspective of that one character right okay there are, uh, there are, I, I just called them red letter editions. They've probably got a real name of, uh, the new Testament where all of Christ's words are in red. Mm. And it seems to me that, I mean, it would be a ton of extra work, but if you go through and color code character dialogue, um, I mean, that's a ton, a ton of extra work. You can highlight um, yeah, or yeah, using highlighting, but w- regardless, you've got to visit every line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But then you can back up and stare at the page and say, "Woo, that's a that's a whole lot of yellow and not enough green." So and so, should they be dominating the conversation, uh, or shouldn't they be? Um, mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, with, with regard to writing tools, I have uh, I have just started writing with uh, with Scrivener. Yeah. Um, my first ever Scrivener project was a bonus story comic for, uh, for Dave Kellett, um, which worked out just fine. Uh, but I'm doing Shafter's Shifters in Scrivener. And I found that, uh, the cards in Scrivener, the, there's a text on the card, which if you don't put anything in, it just ends up being whatever text, you know, the beginning of whatever text is actually in that scene. Um, but I would put things on the cards like, you know, this scene needs to deliver three clues and this scene needs to establish uh, one character's opinion. And so goals would go on the cards. Um, and then as I'm, uh, you know, as I'm writing my way through, I can look at a scene and say, did I deliver those clues? I didn't. Do I have to go back and fix it? Or can one of them be on a different card. Did this character do what they were supposed to? They didn't. Maybe I do need to fix it. Um, and so my outline at the high level 
um, ends up mapped in a convenient way onto the actual text. Yeah, mm. and it's it's important, Howard. I'm glad that you talked about that thought process because failing to meet those goals does not mean that the scene or chapter is broken or wrong, right? That That's the decision you have to make after the fact and say, well, do I follow the outline and rewrite this or do I follow this new direction and rewrite the outline? Uh, mm-hmm. Because neither one is inherently right or wrong. It's just your, your process as you go through. Um, Kayla, you are much more <laughs> of a discovery writer or a pantser. Yes. Uh, and so how do you do this? How do you, what tools do you use to make sure that uh, the ensemble is coming together correctly? Uh, so this is um, uh, made more awkward by the fact that I just generally am a little chaos gremlin um, when it comes to writing. Uh, <laughs> so I write out of order, which makes that even harder. Um, and then I don't have an outline. <laughs> Uh, And I just jump around when I see a scene in my head where two people are having a big conflict moment and I'm like, ooh, and then I just go pick a random place in the document and write that out. Um, But as I fill things out like that, I leave little asterisks in between them being like, ooh, this could be this scene where important conflict thing happens can be brought to this head because of this thing. And then I will go back and write whatever other interesting thing I want to. Um, most of it is instinct, I'll be honest, but as I've been writing more, you know, uh, through the Cicirio series, um, I've realized I, I have created more tools for myself, but they are, end up having to be more after the, uh, after the fact, because as a discovery writer, if I write too much like instructional stuff for myself, it loses, um, it loses flavor. It loses, honesty or something like that. Like I admire people who can create an outline and then bring life to it. But when I do it, it's just like stale homework. (laughs) I will tell you the reason why I outline. Uh, Because (laughs) in my debut novel, which came out a hundred years ago, 10 years ago, actually, (laughs) um, almost to the day, like May, May, 2000, (gasps) May, May 2nd or May 5th, 2012. (laughs) And I wrote that book like a discovery writer, this stuff is like, I just put in the stuff that I thought was fun and I, I love it. It's like, it's my baby. Um, that's probably why it's out of print, but, (laughs) uh, it, it, I, I, I locked myself into a logistical timeline. Uh, and so an entire trilogy takes place over the course of 14 days because I didn't outline that first book. And so, and I said, never again. And now (laughs) I, I'm, I'm an outliner, uh, and specifically for big casts, when I have an Mm. ensemble cast, I need to sort of, I need to know where everyone is. And if you don't like, uh, paper, right? Like if you don't like using paper to outline, there's a program that I also use called Scapel, which is by the people of Scrivener. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, and it's, it's basically just like, you could do index cards mm-hmm. on it. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. But cool. cool. As one I've, of the things, Oh, go ahead, Kayla. <laughs> just to say, as I've been going through the trilogy, I, my cast has grown so much to the point where I want, where I've had to have like a, a good look in the mirror at myself and be like, okay, you have to try to organize yourself now. It's too big for you not to. Um, and one of the one of the big things that's helped is when I when I enter revision mode, I go through and I 
set up a column of like each chapter, the word count, and then what happens in those chapters, the major things. And then what, as I'm reading chronologically through it, now that it is actually chronologically readable, um, (laughs) I will write down what things need to change and like whether somebody doesn't have enough time or something crucial was left out and things like that. And that has helped me in like as a retrospective sort of thing for anybody else who's like me. (laughs) What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's uh, take a break for our book of the week. Uh, Zoraida, you told us earlier that you uh, write some Star Wars stuff. Yes. Uh, including you've got a book coming out next year or something that's part of the High Republic series. Is that... Yeah, it actually comes out this year in October. Fantastic. Um, yeah, it's so phase two of the, of the High Republic. S- say again? It's phase two of the High Republic is my book. Awesome. That is really exciting. So our book of the week is Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, which is an, one of the intro books to the High Republic series. Tell us about it. It is uh, one of the young adult novels by Claudia Gray. It follows, it's in the High Republic era uh, it follows a Jedi Padawan named Reith Silas, who he he likes adventure, but only reading about adventure. And so he's sort of kicked out of the nest from the Jedi Temple in Coruscant, um, the Jedi Arch- sorry, the Jedi Archives in Coruscant, and uh, is sent to the Outer Rim to um, to accompany other uh, other Jedi. Um, in what is like a big catastrophe that's happening. Uh, and while he's out there, he is acts, he, he, uh, encounters somebody from the enemy side, uh, and, and sort of, he's forced to grow up and figure out what it means to be a Jedi. And so it's in Claudia Gray fashion. She makes you root for every single person on that ship. Uh, and she's great at writing multiple, um, big casts that feel like they belong together. Yeah, the uh, Claudia is one of my favorite authors, uh, and High Republic is a very cool setting about two hundred years before Phantom Menace. Um, it, it's a basically a huge shared world project with a bunch of different authors all writing uh, the same plot and the same characters over time. Anyway, really cool. and we're excited for you to be a part of it. So read Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. And then in October, look for Zoraida's new book. Can you tell us what it's called? Or is that still secret? Or I don't know. I don't oh. even know. <laughs> I was like, I just got a hot flash. I was like, what's my book title? Uh, it is revealed. <laughs> it's it's called Convergence. Convergence Ooh. by Zoraida Cordova. All right. <laughs> so uh, let, let me, uh, Howard, you had something that you wanted to say yeah, earlier. Yeah, well, um, when 
Kayla, when you when you said you know outlining, uh, you know takes away some of the, and then you looked for the words <laughs> to describe what happens when you outline. I had the same problem. Um, part of what I love about discovery writing is the thrill of the discovery. And if I mm-hmm. did all of the discovery in the outline, I felt like, well, now I'm just bored. Uh, what I have realized since then is that if I am outlining, sometimes my outline is just emotional beats. I, I will establish, okay, at this point in the story, I want the reader to turn the page because they are scared to know what happens next, but they have to know. And here I want them to turn the page because of sense of wonder. And here I want them to turn the page because they're laughing at how awesome this dialogue is and they're hoping there's more of it. Um, None of those things have any deflation of discovery in them. And all of them allow me to write something where I am actually writing to the reader and using the magic power of authors to make people feel things with little patterns of digital ink on digital pages. <laughs> it is sorcery, my friends. Sorcery. <laughs> Magician. And I will say that at the end of the day, like you can, you can, I can outline until I have 10,000 stacks of paper around my desk. And I often do, but sometimes I still go off page because the story decides where it wants to go. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, One of the things that we talked about a few episodes ago was making sure that the characters maintain their distinctiveness, that the right characters are saying the right things and that their dialogue doesn't just kind of blend together into a gray mush. So, Howard, what tools do you use to make sure that the right person says the right bit of dialogue? I use, I start with search and replace, well, not search and replace, but just search on uh, conversational fillers. If a character is interrupting another character because they've just had a thought, they might say, wait a minute, or hang on, or no, wait, 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 or something. I will scan through the document until I see one of those, and then I'll copy it into a search string and see where else I've used it. And if I've got three different characters who all say, hang on a minute, I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't like using those cliche phrases anyway. I like finding other ways to do, uh, uh, I don't want my, my novel to read like, uh, you know, you just don't get it, do you? Uh, that, you know, that sort of thing that gets used all the time. Um, I don't want to do that with cliche phrasing. And so the other thing that that search lets me do is identify, uh, am I leaning too heavily into these conversational shorthands, is there a way that I can uh, phrase these things differently? But yeah, it starts with looking for common little phrases. Uh, and and as I read a character's dialogue, um, you know, as I make my way through, often I will find little turns of phrase and I'll realize, wait, that's, that's something that I know I've written before or since, or multiple times at least. I need to go find other copies of it. Um, and so I'll do a search and replace. Very cool. So we hope we've given you some good tools that you can use, uh, to help write ensembles better. Um, and one of those tools is actually our homework. So Rita, what what are we going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to color code your outline. 
Uh, and that could be printing in different colors or using different color index cards, post-its. Um, but just take a step back, look at the story, look at the voices and see what the bigger picture tells you from afar. Mm-hmm. A zoom Sounds out. awesome. So this is Writing Excuses. Huge thanks to Zoraida and to Kayla for joining us on this masterclass series. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, listeners, you're out of excuses. Now go write. Do you want to go write on a cruise ship surrounded by other writers in the Caribbean? The Writing Excuses 2022 cruise is happening this September, and we'd love to have you there. Go to writingexcusesretreat.com for all the details. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.